Welcome back to another episode of Maryland's Politics and Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Leatherberry. It's that time again, the whirlwind 90 days of Maryland's legislative session. And this time around, one of the top issues is education, specifically funding legislation related to the Kerwin Commission's educational recommendations for the state. The commission was created by the legislature in 2016 and is led by and named after William Britt Kerwin, the former chancellor of the University of Maryland system. The panel is made up of 26 members, including county leaders, business representatives, legislators, and educators. The commission was tasked with rewriting the current funding formula for Maryland schools, which has been in place for more than 20 years. Our guest today is Nikki Thompson, Campaign Manager for Maryland Fair Funding. She'll be sharing more information about the state of education in Maryland, as well as help us to understand the Kirwan Commission's recommendations and funding sources. Um, Joining us today on the podcast is Nikki Thompson, Campaign Manager for Maryland Fair Funding. Welcome, Nikki. Today we're going to talk a little bit about education in Maryland. If you could First, tell me a little bit about Maryland Fair Funding Campaign and what the main goals are of that group. The Maryland Fair Funding Campaign is a coalition of about, oh, more than a dozen organizations from across the state that we have several goals, but we really have one main focus, and that's to ensure that Maryland has the resources that it needs to make significant new investments in education funding that have been proposed by the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, more commonly referred to as the Kerwin Commission. That's what everyone knows. So we've all come together because we fully support the blueprint of improving standards that the commission has come up with. We know that it's important to a vibrant economy to have strong investments in education, specifically public education. So those are the long-term benefits, but the short-term benefits is that the state needs to provide this additional revenue in order to make sure that we're not in the precarious predicament of choosing between essential services and providing for our students. And so that's why we are supporting these proposals that will be coming up in the Maryland 2020 legislative session because we don't want to be in that space of having to choose. We don't need to be. Maryland can do both. We are the richest state in the richest country, so we can definitely do both. And then also we want to make sure that the way that we're funding and building revenue in general is reflective of our state values and reflective of our values in general. Right now we've got a tax code that is full of loopholes for corporate interest. Uh, They've all been placed there by special interest. And we want to make sure that the wealthy and powerful are not the only ones who are benefiting from our current tax structure. Right now, Maryland's working families are paying a higher percentage of their income towards taxes than the powerful and wealthy few, and that's just not aligned with our with our morals. It's not aligned with our goals. Thanks for explaining a little bit of what you guys work on. Most of our listeners have heard of the Curon Commission, but can you delve a little bit deeper into that. Why was the commission formed and what's what's the status currently? The commission was formed by the Maryland General Assembly in 2016. Uh, the whole point was to provide recommendations on how to update our school funding system. Did it before, about 20 years ago, so that was the beginning of my lifetime. So they definitely needed to be updated. When the funding formulas were originally implemented, about 22% of Maryland students were in poverty. Now we're pushing towards 45%. We definitely need needed to revisit not only our practices, but our funding formulas, because 
the data shows that there's huge inequities there. And so the recommendations that the Kerman Commission came up with were compounded by experts that did hearings and gathered best practices, and they presented these proven measures in a report that they sent to the Maryland General Assembly. So now it's time for the Maryland General Assembly to act on those policy recommendations. And some of them include things like expanding career technical education, hiring more teachers, paying them properly what they are deserved, raising their pay, additional supports for English language learners and struggling learners, and then increasing funding for mental health and special education. Those are just a couple a couple of the things. Universal pre-K, um, things that we need that we should be doing and that our schools are dealing with anyways, and so we need to provide them the supports they need. Um, and, and expanding on the things that our schools need, I I guess I'll ask the question this way. What's what's wrong with Maryland schools? What's the current state of, of our school system, our education system? The reports will show you that we've slipped from being number one to number five. And to some people, you know, that's not a big deal. But you got to dive deeper. you got to peel back the layers. And so, like I said, the last time that Maryland updated its funding formulas was in the early 2000s. And just the landscape was completely different. Economically, it was completely different at the time. So what we're dealing with now is that after that uh, influx of funding based off of the Thornton Commission recommendations, which was in the early 2000s, the Great Recession hit. So there were tons of cuts that were made specifically to education that left us in a space of only six schools in the state having the resources they needed to meet the current standards. And so that has real effects for the students, for the educators, for the schools, for our communities, for the state as a whole. Um, to dive even deeper in the numbers, so 53% of black students in the state of Maryland are in an underfunded school. Daunting numbers that are absolutely unacceptable. 60% uh, of Maryland's high schoolers are not college or career ready. They aren't in the best place for college preparedness, but then also if they want to learn a skill, they don't have avenues to do that either. Maryland teachers make about 84 cents on the dollar compared to their peers in similar fields with similar levels of education. So that's what we're currently dealing with. And like I said, these are impacts that are affecting our families, they're affecting the state, they're affecting our communities, and most importantly, the students. Half and over half of students not being prepared. I can see how that can affect our economic structure moving forward. So there's a whole lot of things that our education system have to plan for, and uh, it seems that they're just woefully unprepared. I know that the commission has made several recommendations um, in order to start to get students prepared and to address some of the issues that have come up in education. The big question and the controversy, of course, is how much is all of this going to cost us? That's really the, the crux of it all, is what is this going to cost us and can we afford it, really? But again, I really want to reiterate that Maryland has the highest concentration of millionaires in the entire country. They're in the state of Maryland. We are, again, the richest state in the richest country. So how much is it going to cost? So by 2030, if these recommendations are passed, the Kerwin Commission recommendations, then it'll be $4 billion in spending. That's what the total of the state share and the local share is going to be annually by 2030. The, that's the cost. I do want to add that if the policy proposals that we are pushing as the coalition are passed and brought forth, the majority of the state's share will be funded through this new revenue source. And so we really got to break that down even further because that would mean 
with this proposal passing that Maryland's working families will only have to contribute less than $5 a month to being able to make Kerwin happen. And so that big number of $4 billion is like, oh, how can we do that? You know, that's, that we don't have that. And a scare tactic, basically, because when you when you look at the tax breaks that we're providing for corporations we have we have the money and so we just got to tap into it and take the burden off of maryland's working families so again i just want to reiterate that if we pass the funding revenue sources that we are proposing in this legislative session that number breaks down to less than five dollars a month for maryland's working families and i i think i think supporting our kids and making sure that they have the opportunities that they deserve it's, it's worth $5 a month for me. That's right. like less than a Hulu subscription, isn't it, per month? Much less, yeah. Hulu yeah. just keeps getting more expensive, but <laughs> we're not going to get into that. That's another podcast. Um, how is it that our businesses aren't already contributing to the education system? And what part of uh, the Fair Funding Campaign kind mm -hmm. of looks at this? What, what are the recommendations for getting businesses more involved and in, in closing these loopholes? Basically what's happening is that you have large loopholes for large and profitable corporations like a Under Armour or a Marriott International that did not pay federal taxes from 2016 to 2018, did not pay state taxes. And actually, one of the organizations that we work very closely with, well, that is just a pillar in Maryland, and when it comes to transparency, Maryland PIRG just released a report about how we don't even know, we don't even have the transparency there to even dive into some of these tax breaks and some of these um, loopholes to really even see See, like how much they are affecting Marylanders but we know that they are happening I mean specifically when it came to trying to bring Amazon to Maryland there was a whole package of tax breaks that were going to be provided to them so but when you want to dig further and you want to get the documents then you can't so I mean there's that but you know they're moving money around on paper to just limit their their tax responsibility or they're not paying anything at all and so that means they're not contributing to the public services that they also use that puts us in the space of having to decide between funding transportation, um, funding emergency services, the public services that, that people rely on. And the other part of it that I really want to point out is that small local businesses, they don't get these tax breaks. These are a lot of times, it's, you know, putting business against, um, you know, everyone else. And that's just not the case because our small businesses, which contribute to our, you know, the, the foundation and the structure of our economy, they're not able to tap into some of these loopholes. Another thing is we have a lot of wasteful tax credits. Um, Marylanders really need to understand that a lot of the tax breaks that kind of get packaged together to attract businesses, those tax credits, uh, they're still compounding, they're still being used, but they're not bringing the things that they were intended to bring. So are they creating the jobs they said that they're going to create? You know, that's why a lot of these businesses get tax breaks because they're supposed to bring however many, you know, jobs to the community, but they don't. Or we don't have access to those jobs. The communities that need those jobs don't have access. They, to they may not have been trained. Exactly, exactly. Educated. It's a whole catch-22. It's a whole catch-22. So eliminating some of those wasteful tax credits would be, would be really beneficial. Reports continue to show us that from state analysis that these credits are just not delivering on what they promised. And Marylanders, they deserve better. And the money should be used in a place where we know we're going to get the benefit on the back end. Finally, Right now, Maryland has a really upside down tax structure. So Maryland's top percent, so those who are making a half a million dollars or more, the top 1%, they're paying about 9% of their 
income towards their tax, their where their taxes. Whereas working families, that's anybody that's like eighty thousand dollars or less, they're paying nine point eight percent. So they're paying significantly more, and it and it means more because they are working families. I mean, the data shows us that so many people are living paycheck to paycheck, and that type of um, percentage going towards taxes when you have a higher income that's just not they're not making that same type of commitment they're not making the same type of sacrifice i mean that sounds upside down to me and so we've got to right side it up so that we can make sure that everyone who's drawing from this system that are you know receiving all the benefits are actually paying their fair share and that's what this is all about it's not bullying it's not targeting it's not any of that it's just making sure that everyone is paying their fair share Governor Hogan may have a different take. <laughs> Obviously, I I think he has been very public about rejecting some of the recommendations, basically saying everything is way too expensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if you could, for a moment, just break down what our current governor's stance is on the commission. He's called the commission's recommendations half-baked, from what I've seen. And this has been a three-year process, so I don't... I'm not a baker, but that doesn't sound half baked to me. That I feel like that narrative is concerning. Um, there's also, you know, been information around this being a huge tax hike, and that misinformation again is really making everyday people scared for what um, what they know probably internally maybe is the right thing to do and what we need to do because we need to invest in education. But they are being hit with so many numbers that are based on just misinformation. And so it's really, it's really unfortunate, I would say, because uh, it, it doesn't have to be that way. It just doesn't have to be that way. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that we are getting the right information to Marylanders. And we just urge the governor and legislators to act in the Maryland General Assembly on these policy proposals because it is going to be the difference between this being of being all that it could be. Like I said, we've done this before with Thornton, but we didn't tie the funding to it and we didn't provide a new revenue source. And ultimately, once the Great Recession came, started cutting. And I don't know when another recession will come, but, you know, it's likely this is history repeats itself. And so we want to make sure that we're not stripping away from our children when we have the opportunity to do it now and just provide the proper funding source. And along with that, I mean, are there any other sort of hurdles that you all anticipate? I know that going through the legislature, one would think that education would be the priority. Mm -hmm. Um, But what sort of challenges have have you all faced in the past at least? So I would definitely say just getting people attuned to the idea of taxes and getting them to understand what uh, actually goes into this into this process is, is not anyone's favorite policy area. It's complicated. It's wonky. And so really breaking it down, not only for legislators, but for everyday people to kind of know that this is that this is what's happening. And you know, this is what we should be doing. Also, I think there's just a general consensus that there's an aversion to paying for taxes, but we've done a lot of polling, we've done focus groups, and that's just not the case. Really, people just want to know what their taxes are going to. That's really what it boils down to. And um, getting legislators to understand that and appreciate that and touch the issue when I feel like we've all been kind of forced to believe that no one wants to raise taxes for anything. And that's just not the case. Generally, what we've seen, especially in polling, is that once we kind of break down what the current commission is and what their goals are, people are all for it. They're like, yeah, we need to do that. 
We need to invest in public education. And I don't mind spending money on that if I am sure that that's what my money is going to go to. So making that connection is, is very simple. It's very easy. And so that's what we've been trying to do um, just as a coalition, not just for everyday Marylanders, but also for lawmakers. Maryland has a pretty complex system of private schools, charter schools, public schools. Was there anything in the recommendations from the commission that was related to any sort of charter school funding for people whose children may not go to public school? What sort of incentive do they have to be pro-current recommendations? It's all one big system. Like, we're all still here in Maryland, and so we're all going to have to pitch in. I, I, I don't know another way to say it because it, I don't want to get into a point of, like, putting charter schools against public schools because I think that narrative has kind of gone far enough, and there are some great charter school-oriented organizations that are a part of the Strong School Maryland's effort because we all know that stronger public education makes for a stronger workforce, it makes for better opportunities for students, and it just makes for better communities. And so um, it's not one against the other. And I think once them being able to be a part of this fight, even if they may not have a direct benefit, is um, I think a testament to how big and important this is a once in a generation opportunity. And so I think them tagging on and being supportive kind of adds to that just general narrative that we can have everything. We can have it all. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So you don't have to just support charter schools. You don't have to just support public education or just support private schools. While there may not be um, a direct line of funding for charter schools in the Kerwin recommendations, there's still going to be funding for universal pre-K. That's viable. That's something that's necessary for kids who are going to go into charter schools. And also, we're not going to be able to build out every single public school to be able to provide for universal pre-K. So a lot of money is going to go to private providers to be able to, to build up or provide that foundation that's necessary for universal pre-K. And that's beneficial for charter schools as well. So um, those type of recommendations, it helps everybody. And so we've all got to kind of dig our feet in to make sure it happens. News about the Kieran Commission has been mm -hmm. going on for a couple of years now. Uh, the recommendations came out, I guess, what, about a year and a half ago? Mm -hmm. And now we have a bunch of news stories following the mat. Prior to the recommendations coming out, mm -hmm. there was a lot of information. Um, in order to get the funding, what sort of process are we looking at? Okay. And, and how long might that take? So the Maryland General Assembly starts January 8th. And everything that we're proposing is going to be in the form of a bill. So like a, a legislative proposal a bill so we've got sponsors for the bills they'll be introducing the legislation this session and we've got until april to get it passed april 6th to get it passed yeah 90 days we need people to be engaged every single day of these 90 days to not only um call their legislators email their legislators tweet your legislators facebook your legislators to tell them that yes we want kerwin and we want kerwin with a revenue source so that we can keep Kerwin because I think that's the thing that um, people have not made the connection of yet uh, we don't want to be in the same space of how we were with Thornton we didn't have a revenue source and so then we had to start picking and choosing and when it comes to children everyone should be invested in we can't pick and choose what children we want to invest in so January 8th is when the session starts. Um, we will be re introducing our legislation that first week. And, you know, we're going to have a press conference and make sure that we are getting the word out so that you can follow the legislation as you, you go forward. But it's all got to be done by April. So the time is actually now. I know people say that a lot, yeah. but really and truly the time is now. 
If folks want to learn more about the Maryland Fair Funding Campaign or if they'd like to get involved, perhaps with the coalition, where, where should they go? So you can go to Maryland Center on Economic Policy's website, which is mdeconomy.org, and you'll find um, all of our information about education funding, our revenue proposals. You'll find that all there. Or you can contact me. Nikki Thompson. Um, my email is nthompson, like my name, at mdeconomy.org. And also, you know, all of our social media, you can follow us on our Twitter page, our Facebook page. We have all that good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nikki, and for explaining more about the Caron Commission and the recommendations. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> that was Nikki Thompson, campaign manager for Maryland Fair Funding. If you'd like to learn more, visit mdeconomy.org and click on Education under the Policy Issues tab. As always, thanks for listening to the Our Maryland Politics and Policy Podcast. See you next time.